Do you have a tricky work problem that you need to solve? I have a great podcast recommendation for you featuring a pair of expert women. Whether you're just starting your career or a seasoned professional, check out Fixable, a podcast from TED. Hosted by Harvard professor Frances Fry and her wife, leadership coach Ann Morris, the brilliant duo provide honest, actionable advice to help you navigate everything from a gaslighting manager to returning to work after parental leave. They'll leave you feeling empowered and ready to act. Listen to Fixable wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Bossed Up Podcast, episode 46. I want to give a special shout out to our New York City listeners, and I want you to save the date on September 20th. That's a Thursday night. I'm coming to the Big Apple to host a live recording of the Bossed Up podcast brought to you by General Assembly New York City. They'll be hosting us for an awesome evening of answering career conundrums in real time with my surprise guest who... I will be announcing very soon on the podcast. If you want to hang with me for a totally free event, save the date and stay tuned for more information at bossedup.org or make sure you're on the email list there so you'll be in the know when tickets are available. Space is limited, but tickets are absolutely free. I hope to hang with you on September 20th in New York City. Before we dive into today's very hot topic, I want to reach out especially to those of you who are job seekers, career transitioners, and generally feeling fed up with the status quo in your career. Bossed Up Bootcamp, my signature weekend-long training program for women navigating career transition in a holistic kind of way, is coming up soon in Washington, D.C. this September 29th and 30th. We have less than 10 spots available right now, and you can access our easy-to-use three-month installment plans or our financial aid and scholarship options that are available if money is a barrier for you. Because let me tell you, this is the best program I do. My trainer team full of expert trainers who are going to be there helping guide you through things like clarifying your career vision, assertive communication, mastering negotiation, mindfulness and happiness, love and relationships, and slaying your long-term goals. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. I haven't even gotten to the bottomless mimosa brunch where we talk about money and where that fits into your career plan. It really is an all-in-one, one-stop shop for anyone who's navigating a career pivot point. And we are there for you if you need it. Make sure you get the details and register now at bossedup.org slash bootcamp. And for those of you who can't make it to DC in September, we've got one more of these Bossed Up Bootcamp weekends coming up in Los Angeles this November. And we just added our 2019 dates and cities for Bossed Up Bootcamp next year. So check it out at bossedup.org slash bootcamp. Links in your show notes. All right. Today we're tackling a very tricky but very common topic. In this world of ours with lots of toxic workplaces and far too many microaggressions, stressing out women and people of color and really all kinds of minority folks in majority environments, it's no wonder why so many of us find ourselves hopping from job 
to job. But that creates a real career conundrum when it comes to navigating the job search. If your resume is full of so many short-term job stints, it makes you look like you can't make up your mind. And that might raise some eyebrows from employers who are fearful of you being a flight risk. So today I'm tackling this tough topic with an expert guest I can't wait for you to meet. But first, take a listen to today's listener-submitted career conundrum that started it all. Hello, Emily. First of all, I wanted to thank you for all the great work you're doing in empowering women to rise up in their career. My question is about career longevity. The average time I've stayed at a job is 1.5 years, with the shortest time being eight months and the longest being two and a half years. Some might look at my resume and think that I'm not a loyal employee or that I can't stick to something for too long. But the harsh truth is that as a woman of color, I run into some unbearable circumstances at work that I didn't have the financial or legal resources to fight. I've been sexually harassed, discriminated against, and sometimes just had plain old bad luck and ended up in toxic work environments. How can I explain or reposition the short job stints without making my past employers look bad? Is the rule of not bad-mouthing your past employers still valid in the Time's Up era? Thank you for taking the time to hear me out. My name is Gabriella. I'm from Los Angeles, California. Gabriella, thank you so much for your kind, kind words. I'm so glad to hear you dig the Bossed Up podcast, but I'm so pissed, <laughs> frankly, to hear that you've been dealing with this kind of BS. And I commend you for taking your power into your own hands and doing what you've got to do to get yourself into a different situation. Unfortunately, there's a lot of injustice to go around. And that injustice definitely affects women of color disproportionately. So I'm really sorry to hear that this is happening to you. But glad that you're finding your way to a better workplace. Today, joining me to help break down this career conundrum and share some of her unique experiences and perspectives on how Gabriella can move forward is Alexis Parada, a seasoned communications professional, which will come in handy when figuring out how to reframe these past experiences of Gabriella's in a positive way. With over 15 years of experience in the nonprofit sector and six years of creating engaging content and copy online. She's an editor and writer at Idealist Careers, and she contributed a great boss tip that I featured back on episode 37, all about how to handle a resume that's lacking the experience you wanted to have. So if you haven't heard that episode, I'll drop a link to it in the show notes here for you to check out. But one of my favorite things that Alexis does is she authors a really interesting and compelling and really unique career advice column for idealistcareers.org called Ask Alexis. So definitely make sure to check her column out if you want to hear more advice. So when I'm not navigating workplace politics, I'm looking for ways to improve my relationships, keep up with pop culture and politics, and frankly deal with the everyday sexism I'm constantly encountering. If that's you too, you'll love Slate's The Waves podcast. Every week, Invisibilia co-host Hannah Rosen, New York Magazine's Noreen Malone, and Slate's June Thomas and Christina Catarucci unpack all the ways gender shapes our lives with smart takes and a healthy dose of feminist discourse. Download and subscribe to The Waves in Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. 
And now let's dive into today's episode. Alexis is tuning in from New York today. Thank you so much for being here. Of course. Thank you for having me. So we've got this sticky listener submitted career conundrum to break down today from Gabriella. Gabriella writes in to say she's worried about how to explain what she thinks looks like being kind of a flighty employee on her resume. She's had a few short term job situations Not because she doesn't want to remain loyal to her employers, but she says as a woman of color, especially, she finds herself often in untenable workplaces or toxic workplaces, dealing with a lot of microaggressions, dealing with harassment. And she says, should and how should really she deal with explaining those short term job stints in this Time's Up era we find ourselves in. So that's sort of the basis of today's conversation. What are some of the pieces of advice that come to mind for Gabriella uh, from your experience, Alexis, in handling career questions through Idealist? Well, one thing I would say is I feel like if you have a long list and it's a really unfortunate situation and I want to kind of start with the disclaimer of there's a lot of things I think in Gabriella's question that we're just maybe not going to get to right now because that's a terrible thing to have to deal with especially it sounds like she's dealt with it on more than one occasion but I will say that in an interview situation if you can pull out one example of how things kind of got toxic or uncomfortable or unprofessional at one of these places. I don't think that that's crossing any sort of line into bad-mouthing a former employer or anything like that. I think that there's a way to talk about it professionally and to take that space to get a little bit real with an interviewer. And that's not to say that going down a list of here's why this place was toxic. Here's why that place was toxic. I think just using one really strong example and making sure that you're putting it in like a professional you're using professional language to explain it and that you're you're kind of coming to it as this is how it was and I was proactive and I dealt with it by leaving. Yeah. I think that's fine. And I would say personally, I had a situation where I was at a job for about two months and I realized that it was not a good place for me. So two months in, I started looking for a new job. I had never done that before. I had never left a job before like a year and a half or two years at least. If it happens and it happens for a genuine reason, a lot of interviewers will understand like, this wasn't a good place for you. And you did the proactive thing by trying to get out of there. So good job. I love that example. Thank you for sharing it. In your experience interviewing after leaving that job fairly quickly, how did you stay focused on the future, right? How did Mm -hmm. you spin it so that the interviewer knew you weren't looking to be a flighty employee. You were in fact proactively seeking an environment that would enable you to stay for a while. I always made those points a main focus of as many of the interview questions or my responses to the interview questions as I could. I always reiterated the fact that I'm looking for a team. I'm looking for a place to grow. I'm looking for a place to really like plant roots and develop all of my professional skills. And then I guess another thing that I did to just sort of reiterate that I wasn't trying to run was just talk about 
the things that I took away from that job, even though I was only there ultimately for four and a half months, you have to be able to identify something that you did there, something that you learned there, even if it didn't necessarily have to do with the office environment or your direct supervisor, even your colleagues. Maybe you worked with a vendor who taught you something. Maybe you were really inspired by a client. I mean, whatever it is, you have to find something to show that you weren't just there to stick around until things got tough, but you were really trying to take what you could. Yeah, I like that idea because I almost feel like when you're in the interview process, people are making associations with you. And if you're going through this laundry list of many different jobs that didn't work out for different reasons and really painting yourself as a victim, even if you were a victim, even if you were victimized, people are associating you with that victimhood or with that toxic work environment. And they start to make those associations into predictions Mm -hmm. for maybe it's not the environment, maybe it's you. (laughs) So really staying positively framed and saying, well, here's what I gained from that anyway. Here's what I'm looking for moving forward and staying focused on the future, focused in, in terms of positively framing what you did gain is such a great way to make that association that they're making in their heads about you a a good one, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And this is something we see a lot here at Bossed Up. We're focused on helping women craft sustainable career paths. And unfortunately, a lot of times we live in a world that doesn't make that very easy for women. (laughs) There are a lot of microaggressions, especially levied against women of color, How do you recommend women or career writers who are writing into your great Ask Alexis column at Idealist Careers to handle a workplace that's just gone south? I feel like that's like the million dollar question because there are a lot of situations where there's nothing much beyond how you respond to it that you can control. And that's such a crappy answer. And I hate to say it, but... Of course, there are like all of the tips that you would get about kind of like how to get yourself excited about the work that you're doing again and kind of re-energize yourself or find those colleagues that you do connect with and you can learn from and they can be a support system and all of those things. But one thing that I would recommend, which is kind of outside of the workplace, and we have a post that's going to be published on Idealist Careers on this very topic pretty soon. Um, We did an interview with a woman who started her own personal advisory board. So she's a professional. And I guess she had heard from some colleagues at a previous job that they were involved in this specifically for women personal advisory board where there's a monthly gathering and all of the women are free to sort of bring in their professional challenges and questions and things they're coming up against as women in the office. And the way that this particular woman did it was she had members from across sectors and industries. Um, But they spent the first few meetings just really digging in and getting to know each individual member of the group so that when somebody says something like, oh, you know, I had a meeting with Emily today, everybody else in the group says, oh, I know Emily is your supervisor. I know that you guys have a great working relationship. Yeah. So they really like dig into each person so that everybody can kind of advise based on their own unique skills and experience, kind of how to move forward as a woman in this situation. And I 
I know that's not necessarily going to fix what's happening in the office, but it can be a really great place to just seek that support and probably commiserate a little bit too. It's funny. I think commiserating gets a bad rap because, you know, there's that like, I almost think of um, office space, this like idea of the corporate misery and that everyone's just almost sacrificing themselves to this commiseration machine that's really negative and doesn't produce much. But frankly, I always feel better when I get something off my chest. If I'm feeling stressed out, if I'm feeling upset or angry, naming it can be so helpful. So I love this idea of creating for yourself a personal advisory board first, just to commiserate with, just to explain the challenges you're facing and and to feel seen and heard. Otherwise, I've worked with a lot of women who start to internalize what's happening at these completely wacko workplaces as a personal failing. So commiserating or I would say communicating what's going on in your workplace to someone outside of it who you trust to be an ally and to to do their best to try to support you in a reciprocal way can help you disentangle your personhood from your personal work situation right now, which is so helpful. I wonder what gave you that sort of flight instinct after just two months, because I almost feel like people have very different responses to being in a new job and realizing, oh my God, this is terrible. I almost think of it as like a fight, flight or freeze response, just like our our body stress response. Some people are like, this is terrible. I'm going to show them wrong and I'm going to fight my way through it. But you, you had that flight instinct right away. How did you come to that? realization and give yourself permission to start looking in GTFO? (laughs) Well, I would say it was kind of some deal breakers started happening for me. And maybe I'm, I'm lucky because I've worked in the sort of social impact space for a really long time. There are certain things that are just kind of unacceptable for me in a workplace. And I had never really encountered them before at this point, which is fantastic. But it was this idea that the teams were all within a team, you were sort of pitted against your team members. So there was like a ton of like push toward competition. And it was like, the competition was the motivation rather than the collaboration and sort of like lifting up the people that you work with. And for me, that that just doesn't jive with my personality. So I, that was kind of a big deal breaker. And then also the way that it was, I would say a lot of sarcasm. So again, it was like a lot of sarcasm was like a part of the office culture. And it was like almost this motivation to do better because you don't want to be like shamed in this like sarcastic way in front of everybody. And that was like what the motivation was. And I just, I kind of knew that that wasn't going to work for me because I had always worked in places where everybody was really supportive. But I will say that I, I am not one for change. So it was pretty extreme for me to have left a job that I actually loved to take this opportunity. And then within just a few months to say, oh my gosh, I think God help me. I think I need to start looking again. And that means that I have to like find a new place and get settled at a new place and all of these things that I hate. (laughs) It was, it was like a pretty extreme situation for me to make that call, but I'm so happy I did. 
That's good to hear because a lot of people, I think, stick it out because we know how hard it is to reenter the employer dating pool. Mm -hmm. It's the same reason people stay in relationships that are less than great because dating sucks, just like interviewing. <laughs> <laughs> so that's funny. I'm glad we can push back on those myths because it's definitely worth it to get yourself in a better situation. What about your resume? Did you decide to put that experience on your resume? Because one of the sort of controversies or conversations, disagreements slash discussions in the career expert space on this is whether or not to list a super short-term job experience on your resume at all. So I had it on there for a bit. And I actually, I did leave it on there when I was interviewing and when I was looking. Slowly as, you know, it started becoming like months turned into years, the separation from this position, I took it off. And I was very honest in like future interview situations when somebody said, well, I noticed there's a four and a half month gap on your resume, what happened there. And I'm super honest about it. I kind of let people know what I was hoping for, what I actually found and why I left so quickly. And it's funny because earlier how I was saying that Gabriella should really be able to find like something from every job that she could speak to as like a learning opportunity. I kind of chose to stop doing that because I definitely took some things away from it, but nothing that was worth listing in this like really abbreviated way on my resume and taking up space. So happy to talk about it, but I stopped including it. I think that's spot on advice because the further out you go in the grand scheme of things, we have to ask ourselves, does this matter? Does this add to my story? Does this add in a substantive way to the narrative of what brought me to this interview with you here today, right? I think when I'm considering interviews, I really encourage folks to really craft a clear narrative that ends with them being the perfect candidate, right? Everything in my life has led me to you and I'm the perfect person for this job. If there is an asterisk in your narrative, it might not be worth mentioning, right? If there's a hiccup in your hero's journey, it might not add anything substantive. So I, I like that technique of addressing it honestly, clearly, and briefly, <laughs> but not including it from the get-go if it really doesn't add to your story in any substantive way. I wonder if the folks you're talking to, the folks who are interviewing you, would determine how much you share about this experience, especially in Gabriella's case. So mm -hmm. I don't want to be encouraging well, let me put it this way. I'm a big believer in the power of code switching. Know your audience and know your goals and feel free to communicate in a way that really plays into those two factors. So if Gabrielle is interviewing with another woman of color in a leadership position, do you think she's more likely to have a candid conversation go over well in explaining her departures from some of these places than if she were, say, I don't know, interviewing with a 65-year-old white guy, you know? I wonder if there's specific advice there about knowing her audience. What would you say? I think it's definitely something that she should feel out when she gets in the room, for sure. But I am, I guess, a little bit sort of old-fashioned in a sense where I really like personal details in an interview. Just, it makes me cringe. Whatever it is, however, it's like 
potentially adding to the story or like what brought you to that room that day, there are certain things that just no matter what it is, it's just not appropriate for say like a first round interview. Maybe if you're like coming back to them three times, sure, like feel it out, drop a little bit of it in here and there. So I would say definitely like for how like on a scale from like super vague to really specific where she lands on that scale for sure that should like slide depending on who's on the other side of the interview table but i would have like a very finite extreme on that scale for really how specific and how personal she gets no matter who's on the other side of the table but that's me. No, I think that's a great point. This is not the time to commiserate. In other words, <laughs> you know, right. save that for your personal board of directors, right. not for the person interviewing you. And if you cannot help but go into details and get re-triggered and, and you know, flare up emotionally, you got to practice communicating your explanation on this in a really professional and succinct way so that you're not going to be triggered if you get a question about it in the interview. I wonder how you got your story straight when you were interviewing yourself after leaving so abruptly. Did you come up with a narrative or, or explanation? Yeah, I came up with like a nicely packaged way to talk about it and to not um, pretend like it was something that it wasn't. Um, you just have to find those sort of like, unfortunately, like I hate to sit here and, and talk about how it's so important to like mask all of these like really personal experiences. But I think you just have to find like the right euphemisms. You don't want to sell anybody a story because ultimately that's not serving you in the end. Because if you do happen to land the job after you sold this story that isn't true, it may not work out for you either. So yeah, it's just finding that sort of succinct and honest way to talk about it where you're A, not going to trigger any like anger or bitterness or anything in yourself, but you're also not going to make your interviewers squirm in their seat because like, whoa, this just got like a little too personal and more than we sort of bargained for. I think that is really real advice <laughs> and I appreciate it because I wish we lived in a world where women didn't have to mask our emotions, but I'm glad you mentioned anger because there's hard and fast research that shows anger when expressed by a woman or by someone who's perceived as a woman never goes in our favor, right? Anger always backfires when it's expressed from a woman. It makes her seem irrational or unhinged or crazy or emotional. Whereas angry men often, especially in the interview process, can be seen as passionate, committed, driven for expressing the same degree of passion. And so it's really, really important that whatever you do, however you find those euphemisms that work for you, you get to a point in your own personal journey on navigating this mentally where you can lay out that euphemism, that phraseology that works for you without getting angry about it. And I'll drop a link in the show notes for more on that study that shows angry women cannot get ahead. Unfortunately, it just doesn't work for us, which is a bummer. <laughs> I identify as an angry woman. <laughs> um, <laughs> So any last words of advice for folks who are navigating the interview process with some stumbling blocks on their resume? Like what are some of the tips and tricks that you've really found for making the most of your resume in that circumstance or just making the most of preparing for an interview? 
So I would say definitely just practice what you're going to say, say it to a friend, do like a video recording of yourself so you could watch it back and just make sure that you're finding the most succinct and effective way to tell that story and speak to those gaps. I always am a proponent of walking to an interview with notes and I don't try to hide those notes. And I encourage when I am interviewing somebody, I encourage them to like take notes, like don't pretend like you just have it all down and it all just comes naturally to you because it's interviewing and it's hard. So I would go in there with my resume marked up with the things that I really felt like I walked away with from each one of these sort of like shorter stint situations. So I can answer those questions like really quickly and succinctly as well. And again, just to kind of go back to what we were talking about before, I think it's just important to remember that an interview is different than a job. So while there are just certain expectations for all of us of sort of how we're going to present ourselves in an interview and what we're going to get into and what we're not going to talk about, you know, and what kinds of questions we're going to ask and all of those things, that all changes once you're in in the office, once you get the role. So I would never recommend that somebody like keep all of this like past professional trauma bottled up inside once they get to where they're going. Because once you're in there, you now have like a platform to make a change and to do what you feel like you need to do and talk to people and talk to HR and figure out like what kinds of like trainings or brown bag lunches or mentor programs you could have in your office to address all of these things that don't work for you and you don't like. I just don't think an interview is a place to like dive in. I love that. And what an empowering way to end this piece of advice, because just because you've been in crappy situations in the past doesn't mean we have to mask all of that and suppress it and accept less than great workplaces moving forward. Mm -hmm. And that kind of goes back to the fight, flight or freeze response, because in a new place, you can be proactive about preventing the need to fight or flight or freeze, right? By saying, how can we as an organization, because I've done my work, I'm interviewing at organizations I know are going to be workplaces that I want to be a part of. How can we show our collective values for caring about gender equality or caring about creating safe spaces for all kinds of people or caring about uh, diversity and inclusion and there's plenty of resources out there for companies. Plenty of companies have brought Bossed Up's resources in and brought me in to help make that happen. And I have to say, that's the one thing I'm encouraged by. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this, but I think the Me Too slash Time's Up movement for as scary and depressing as it can be to hear about all this stuff that's going down in our workplaces in such a common occurrence it's also an opportunity for us to talk about our values and how to make them available and, and, and live true to them for all people moving forward. So that does give me hope. I absolutely agree. And I think it's a, a moment to take advantage of because this stuff, unfortunately, you know, it, there will always be some part of this issue in the workplace, in the world, wherever. But right now in this moment, it's a part of the conversation and everybody's talking about it. And you don't even have to like broach the conversation in this uncomfortable way because it's already a part of the conversation. So why not take advantage of the fact that you don't have to like figure out how to bring it up because it's, it's been brought up 
and it won't be like that forever. So there's this, now there's this window to kind of skip that, like, oh, how do I raise this issue that's really uncomfortable for me? And I don't want to rub any the, anybody the wrong way or whatever your concerns are. Like now is kind of this window where you can talk about it and everybody's going to know what you're talking about. And yeah, everybody else is talking about it too. And talk about doing something to make sure it's not going to happen to you. I love that. So tell us a little bit about how idealist.org and idealist careers can help people get the resources they need, especially if they're in the social impact or nonprofit or for cause sectors. Like what do you got going on there? And tell us more about what you're writing about. Sure. So idealist.org is where we have like thousands and thousands of job listings and intern opportunities and all sorts of things. I think a lot of people are familiar with that, which is awesome. And then we have kind of our lesser known publication called Idealist Careers. And that's just where um, generally like nonprofit, social impact and public sector job seekers get career advice, resources, anything from like how to find your passion and what to do before you go into an interview, all the way to kind of like assessments on career stuff and some more fun stuff or what we like to call like social impact lifestyle. So more about like what you're doing in your free time or going out and finding really awesome social impact professionals and interviewing them about their success stories. So we are kind of the resource and content side of all of the job seeking and finding that is going on with idealist.org. Awesome. So if that sounds like you, or if you are currently interviewing like Gabriella is, idealist.org is a great place to find jobs and idealist career is a great place to find lots more of Alexis's great advice. Thank you so much for joining me here today, Alexis. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. And now it's time for this week's Boss Moves Moment of the Week. Hi, my name is Lauren. I'm calling from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My Boss Move of the Week is that I completed my first century ride on my bike. I started biking a few years ago, going through like a terrible breakup. My anxiety was all over the place and biking was the only thing that recentered me. I made a lot of goals pretty quickly, but my ultimate goal was the century. So this year... After eight weeks of intense training with my partner, I finally completed it. It was one of the hottest days of the summer. It took nine hours, but it is definitely checked off the bucket list. So super excited about that. Super excited to strengthen the relationship with my partner and with my own body. It was truly transformative and magical. We are cheering you on, boss, and so grateful for you calling in and sharing your come-up story. You really never know who you're inspiring along the way when you do. So if you've got a boss move to share or a career conundrum or all kinds of conundrums, really, that you want us to break down next, give my hotline a ring right now at 910-668-BOSS or 2677. That number is in the show notes. So save it and call me. Leave me your boss moves. Tell me what's making you feel like a boss this week and tell me what conundrums I can help break down next on the podcast. That's all we've got for our show today. In the meantime, keep bossing in pursuit of your purpose and together we'll continue to lift as we climb.
So save it and call me if you love me. <laughs> oh my God, that song has permeated my brain. Um,
let's face it, speaking up at work can be really hard to do, especially for women and women of color. When the stakes are high and you've already worked so hard to just be the only woman in the room and you want to get everything right, you want to have all your facts and figures accurate before making your voice heard, it's just so much easier to stay silent instead. Researcher Deb Chahansky calls this loss of voice phenomenon. And it actually emerges in adolescent women at greater rates than men. And it sticks with us for the rest of our lives. Self-silencing behavior can actually become an unconscious habit unless we consciously engage in practicing our assertive communication skills. And we here at Bossed Up have set out to help women like you do just that. Speak Up, my live assertive communication course is back open for enrollment, and we're kicking off a new cohort launching this June. Over the course of eight life-changing weeks, you'll have access to interactive online curriculum and live weekly practice sessions where you, Irene and I, and a cohort of fellow Speak Up bosses who are owning their voice, overcoming the social messages that have taught us to keep silent, and really learning to strategically and assertively communicate when it matters most, we'll actually have the practice time to rewire our brains, create new neural pathways, and build better habits when it comes to speaking up with confidence and precision and assertively communicating in the workplace. Learn more and enroll today to secure your spot at bossedup.org speakup. That's bossedup.org speakup.